If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the ingredients that it takes for us to grow as followers of Jesus and as the church. We've been looking at, at these different ingredients. Really, we've just been looking at one ingredient up to this point. We've been looking at the ingredient of prayer. If you think of a plant, you know, and, and uh, I don't have a green thumb by any stretch of the imagination, but if you think of a plant, you bring a plant home and, and you want that plant to grow, say it's, a, a, it's a, a plant that, a tomato plant, and you want that plant to grow and produce maters for you. Well, you take that plant and you know that there are certain things that you've got to do for that plant or provide for that tomato plant for it to grow and produce tomatoes. Uh, one of those things, you've got to water that plant. If you're going to have that plant grow and produce tomatoes, you've got to water it. You've got to provide good soil with nutrients in it uh, that will nourish that plant. You've got to give it some sunshine. Uh, you've got to have good air, not bad air. And, and used to, you didn't have to talk about good air versus bad air, but we do these days, don't we? I mean, there's good air and there's bad air. You need some good air uh, to, uh, to help a plant grow and produce fruit that's worth eating. So, so as we look at our lives and our church through the lens of a plant, you're thinking, well, we've been talking about prayer. And prayer waters the soul with the mind and heart of God so that we might grow as his followers and grow as his church. What prayer does is it, it connects us to the mind and heart of God so that we can grow in understanding him and grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge of who he is so that we can produce fruit for his glory. Today, we're going to look at another ingredient. If prayer is the water that, uh, that, that nourishes our mind and hearts, uh, with the will and mind of God, then today we're looking at the soil in which we dig our roots down deep. And that soil is the soil of obedience. Obedience is not really a topic that, that uh, I, I, I know that you, many who come here, they, they're looking for, you know, uh, some intricate details about life. And if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus, then we need more information about stuff or we need a deeper knowledge. We need to grow deeper, right? We need to get deeper. I, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to get all this surface stuff. We need to grow deeper. When I hear people talk about that, it reminds me of, of the story and it's an old story and it's a worn out story, but I like to tell it every now and then. It's a story of a preacher who went to the uh, a, a church and preached his first sermon at this church. They brought him in, and, and they, they loved him, and so they, they brought him in and said, you're now our pastor, and he's preaching his very first sermon. And so he preaches his first summer, sermon, and it's on obedience to God. And at the end of the sermon, the people look, they say, oh, way to go, preacher, you're so good, you're so great. You can tell it's his first sermon. You're so good, you're so great. And, and, and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they went on their way, and, and he went home feeling, feeling content that he preached God's word on obedience. And, and the next Sunday, they came back. This is his second Sunday with this body of believers. And, and he preaches the exact same sermon with the exact same text, the exact same points. Everything was exactly the same. The people, you could see them. As they're listening to this, uh, the, 
the 40% that had returned, and this was their second time to be there. That, that's, that is a true statistic, you know, that, that's, a, that, that's a true statistic. So uh, they, they came back, and, and, and they had heard that sermon. They're like, what? I've heard that sermon before. You see the faces, wait, wait, he preached this last week. Wait, that's the, that's the exact same. It's in my, my note sheet. That's exactly what he said last week. And they're confused. And they think, well, well, you know, maybe he ran out of time this week. Or maybe he, he, he didn't, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe he had moving boxes and he hadn't gotten the rest of his sermons out. I don't know what was going on. But, but they kind of extended grace, and they were a little confused. They would come up after the service, and they said, Pastor, thank you for preaching. We kind of heard that before. He just smiled and nodded his head, went on their way. The next week, third week, people come, and they gather in, and they were wondering what he was going to preach. And sure enough, he preaches the exact same sermon on obedience. He's preaching the exact same sermon. And and they're like, oh my goodness, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Here's a preacher and he's been here three weeks and he's preached the exact same sermon every single way, same point, same text, everything's the same. And so the leaders got together and came up to him after church and said, pastor, we need to meet. We need to talk. He just smiled and he nodded and said, said, come on. He went back to his office and they sat down and one of the leaders said, let's pray. You know, you, you know it's a serious, serious, serious meeting when they say, let's pray. So they began to pray, and, 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 and then after the amen, they looked at the preacher, and they said, Pastor, we need to talk. We're concerned. For the last three weeks, you've preached the exact same sermon on the exact same text. You've preached... For three weeks on the obedience of God. Not just, not just that, but you've, you preach exactly the same points. Preacher, what's going on? And he said, well, I'll move on to the next subject as soon as you start obeying God. I know for many of us, it, it feels like that, doesn't it? When we talk about obedience, we, we think, well, this is, this, is, this is elementary as a follower of Jesus. Of course we're supposed to obey. But friends, it's not elementary, it's essential. You see, you go deeper when you grow in obedience to God. Uh, Growing up as a follower of Jesus is not somehow you and I getting more information, memorizing more scripture. You want to know what it is? It's being obedient to God in the scripture that you know. It's being obedient to God in the things that he's already given you to do. Listen, so often as I was growing up, I, I, as a follower of Jesus, I mean, my dad told me over and over and over again, uh, if, he said, you want to grow up as a follower of Jesus, you start doing the things that you know you're supposed to do for God. You, you be obedient in the things he's given you, and then you start growing. The simple principle that we see in Philippians 2 is when we obey, we grow. It's not just here in Philippians 2, but it's throughout Scripture. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, I, I want to read some of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, the, the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. They're, God's prepping them for the, going into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God, keep his charge, keep his statutes, keep his judgments, and keep his commandments always. That's obey. 
goes down, verse, verse 8 says, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the promised land which you cross over to possess, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Go down to verse 13, he says, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. There's a principle that God lays out for his people. If you obey, you will grow. It's not just in Deuteronomy for the children of Israel. We see it at the beginning of, of the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 1. Very first verse of this, this, uh, this wonderful book of theology and, and doctrine and practical help and worship. This book of the Psalms, the very first word, blessed, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Get this. But blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit and its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. To delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on that law day and night, that means you're going to hear what God wants and you're going to do what God wants. And if you obey, you'll be like a tree planted in the rivers of water. Bring forth its fruit in its season. Leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. You will grow. Jesus taught on, on, on obedience to his disciples and to us in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus uh, paints the analogy of, of, of himself as a vine. And we, his followers, as the branches. He says, in verse 4, he says, abide in me. He says, you're the branches, I'm the vine. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So in 4 and 5 he says, if you stay connected to me, if you abide in me, you're going to grow. You're going to produce fruit. Well, what is this abiding about? He says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire. It shall be done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. You abide, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. No greater love has anyone than this than to, than to lay down your life for, for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Throughout this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples of the connection between being obedient to his commands and tasting 
the love of the Father erupting in our soul, uh, being obedient to him and experiencing growth as his followers. So today, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, we're seeing not only the teaching of Scripture, but we're seeing the model of that, of that life lived out. You see, in, Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, just like he's talking to you and me today, and he says, let this mind, Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, yes, even death on the cross. Jesus modeled obedience. He said, he said in John 15, he said, abide in my love. Uh, uh, you abide in my love if you obey my commands, just as I abide in my Father's love because I obey my Father's commands. Jesus made it his business to be obedient to the Father. And today, we as followers of Jesus, we need to do what Jesus did. Here's what is amazing to me. We look at Philippians 2 and we run straight to the gospel, and we should. It's the, it's the story of the gospel ringing aloud in our souls that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? So that he might rescue sinners like you and me, so that we could have life through his death when we place our faith in him, so that we who could not reach God because of our sinfulness... It was a bridge too far for us to reach out to a holy God, but not a bridge too far for God to reach out to sinners like us. God sent Jesus to build the bridge between uh, unholy sinners like you and me, like us all, and a holy God. Jesus gave his life so that we might live. It's a wonderful, great exchange. And so we run to the gospel and we celebrate it, but so often what happens is we forget that the mandate of this passage in Philippians 2 is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Guys, listen, you want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus had a, an attitude, a perspective, a worldview that led to obedience to God because it was filled with, he was filled with certain convictions that we need to hold as followers of Jesus. If we're going to grow, we must obey. If we're going to obey, we need to hold the convictions of Jesus. What are these convictions that lead to obedience? Obedience flows from the conviction, first of all, that God's commands are more important than our comfort. God's commands are more important than our comfort. God's commands are more important than my comfort. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 6, Philippians 2, verse 6 
Paul writes, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus is God. What that, what, what that means is that Jesus is and always has been God, that Jesus exists in the throne room of heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this wondrous Godhead, the Trinity, uh, there in perfect unity and, and yet perfect distinction from each other. There, there's this oneness of the Godhead and, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit there in heaven, and yet God the Father then looks at God the Son, Jesus, has said, now it's time for you to leave the, the, the comforts of heaven and go be born in a manger in a stable to live your life so that you can die. A cruel, horrific death. And Jesus could have said, but I would rather enjoy the comforts of heaven. But he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What that means is Jesus didn't treasure the comforts of heaven more than he treasured the commands of God. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Friends, can I ask you, when did we decide it was okay for us to exalt our personal comforts above what God commands in his word? When did you determine that you could rebel against God by ignoring his command because it feels better to do it your way? When did we decide that the things that we enjoy are more important than what God says we must be about doing? I know it's hard because none of us like to give up our comforts. But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, isn't about what's easy. It's about growing. Some of you, some of us are here today and, and, and we look at our lives and we say, well, my, my, my walk with Jesus has grown stale. I'm, I'm living in the wilderness. And sometimes it's just a wilderness. But most often, and I've shared this before, most often when I'm living in the wilderness, if I feel like God is distant, Do you want to know what I need to do? I need to evaluate where am I exalting my desires, my comforts above the commands of God. Where am I being disobedient? Where are you being disobedient to God? We pretend like we're mature followers of Jesus. Now, please bear with me. We pretend like we're mature followers of Jesus because we can quote scriptures and we can say nice prayers in a public fashion and we can give us a give give a good amen every now and then at just the right time every now and then just every now and then at just the right time I need it all the time but y'all give it just but but we we do all these things and we pretend like we're mature followers of Jesus but can I tell you that if you are at any point in your life at any And in any arena of your life, if you're exalting your personal comfort above what God has commanded in his word, make no mistake, you are not grown up as a follower of Christ. You're an adolescent. I mean, it is an adolescent. You remember when you were an adolescent? Some of you still are. I remember when I was a teenage boy, my daddy would come in, and and I'd been 
to the football game on Friday night, went out with my friends, and then came home, and, 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 and here I'm in bed, and it's Saturday, I don't have homework, don't have any games to go to or anything like that, and I'm laying in bed, my dad comes busting into my room, I mean my room. We didn't have locks on our doors, by the way, just saying. He comes busting into my room like I had been paying rent or something. Comes busting into my room and he says, son, I want you to get up and go mow the yard. And I'm like, but dad, it's like 730. Won't the neighbors be upset? (laughs) That's good, wasn't it? I'm quick now. I mean, I'm laying there on my pillow that says, Eric, I'm going to the church. He was pastor. I'm going to the church. When I get back, I want the yard mowed. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know what a teenager does, don't you? Lays his head back on that pillow. And I valued the comfort of that pillow far more than I valued the commands of my dad. That's what teenagers do. You're a follower of Jesus and you value your comforts, your conveniences more than you value the commands of God. Make no mistake, you're not grown up. You're not even close to maturity. You're still an adolescent. You don't have to stay there. But that's where you are. See, we know that we're growing as followers of Jesus, when the command to make disciples is more important than any tradition we hold, any preference we desire. The command to love God supremely, love one another, is more important than the cost factor to my own soul, the time factor. We know we're growing up when we're ready to have the mind of Jesus, and let go our comforts to fulfill God's command. This DNA, this this should not be new information if you're a follower of Jesus. The conviction that God's commands are more important than my comfort. is coupled with the conviction that serving others is more important than serving self. I'm not making this up. This isn't just some neat little point that I decide to throw in there. I want you to look at the text. Again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, verse 6. Made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of men. Did you see that? He made himself of no reputation. Why? Because he knew that he was coming to serve. He came as doulos. That's the Greek term, doulos. It's, it's, not, it's not just a, a hired hand. This is a slave. Jesus, the king of the universe 
let go all the prestige, all of his rights, all of standing here and saying, don't you know who I am and how you're supposed to serve me? He made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a bondservant. He said it this way, Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, for the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why in the world would we, followers of Jesus, think that it is our right to be served? I'm sorry. We can get it from a lot of different places, but we don't get it from the DNA of Jesus Christ. You might say, you're saying I don't need to be served. I'm saying that if you want to obey God, then you need to have a conviction that serving others takes high priority over serving self. Oh, my soul, friends, when did we decide to turn that on its head? The church has done it so often. We create an atmosphere in the church, and we built these models of church which says, hey, you come, and we're going to serve you. We're going to meet all your needs. And, we, and that's a great, great idea, except for this. We create this, this culture where you come, you sit, we serve you, and you never grow up in Jesus because you're just being served. And to you, that's all that matters, is that I'm getting served. You see it when you have to give up a seat in the, in the pews, or when you have to give up a, a parking spot, or when you have to walk a little bit further than you normally would have to walk, or where you don't get to hear some of the songs that you like to hear. You, you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this is, this is wrong, because it, it, it's, it's, I don't get to hear what I want to hear, and I don't get to sit where I want to sit, and I don't get to eat what I want to eat. This is This is wrong. My soul, friends, when did it become wrong? If indeed we're followers of Jesus and we have the mind of Christ, that means I am not here to serve self. I am here. You are here to serve others. I know it's hard. I do. Look, I get it. Exactly. Only babies are in a position to be served at all times. Is that where you are on the maturity scale as a follower of Jesus? What shocks me sometimes, and it shouldn't because I've been in this a long time and, and I understand it. I really do. And, but I, it shocks me sometimes that those who should be the most mature in their faith are the ones who are most selfish. And it should never be that way. Jesus, the king of creation, gave up his rights and we are here fighting as if my rights were the most important thing. Look, look, Philippians 2. Remember Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. But look at verses 3 and 4. Jesus, uh, Paul was talking to the church. He says, Let nothing, zero, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important, better than themselves. Do you get that? Do you see that? Verse 4. It may be an inconvenient or an uncomfortable command, but it's a command nonetheless. Let each one esteem others better than himself. Do you see that? Can everybody read that? That's verse 3. Do you see that? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Everybody see that? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's not optional. That's command from God. I know that's not fun, but it's what leads to growth. It's what leads to fruitfulness. It's what leads to productivity. It's what leads you and me to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Here we go. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Be like Jesus, Paul writes, who came not to be served, but to serve. We will grow through obedience, and we will obey when we have the conviction that serving others is more valuable than serving self. By the way, that's what stunts our growth. That's what stunts the growth of a church. Do you know what kills churches? By and large, it's not bad doctrine in the pulpit, although that does kill churches. Most churches die because the church as a whole becomes selfish. It's all about me, baby. It's all about me. And friends, if you're selfish... You're stunting the growth of the church. You get it? See that? I know it's not fun, but it's still truth. Serving others is more important, more valuable than serving self. And then the last thing. We need to have the conviction that there is no sacrifice too great to fulfill God's purposes. Again, I don't make this stuff up. It's straight in the Bible. So here's the way it begins. Paul says, now this is the command. This is the mandate. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Verse uh, 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of man. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. You get it? No sacrifice too great to fulfill God's purpose. What is the line in the sand that you draw? That line in the sand, and and you say, now, God, I'm going to obey you over here. I'll obey you up to that line. Over here, I'll obey you, and I'll change that line. It'll be right up here. And over here, I'll obey you all the way up to here. Father, I will obey you, but here's the line in the sand of my soul that I will not cross. What is that line for you? You're going to say, well, I don't have one. Oh, of course you do. I do. In Scripture, there's only one who did not have that line. 
There's only one in all of Scripture who didn't have the line in the sand of his soul that said, I'm not going to cross that line. There was only one in Scripture who, who could truly say, no sacrifice is too great to fulfill God's purpose. His name is Jesus. But we're supposed to follow him. And that means we need to deal radically and ruthlessly with our own soul. We need to today be able to identify the lines in the sand. And we'd say, uh, you know, I'll obey you. I'll, I'll help make disciples. I'll help, I'll help take the gospel of Jesus Christ across my street and, and throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads. I'll, I'll help start a new campus even. I'll, I, I'll, I'll be obedient, but God, don't ever, ever, ever ask me to go to New York City and help share the gospel. God, I'll I'll be faithful to you and and I will show love to everyone except for Muslims because they hate me. It's been quiet like this in every single service. Look, I know it's hard, but please don't excuse the line in the sand of your soul. That's what stunts your growth. See it. Confess it as sin. Erase it. Repent of it. And grow. What is the line in the sand of your soul? Today I pray that God would reveal it to you. As he has me. My goodness. From the time I woke up at at, at, at 3.30 and got here at the office at 4 this morning and, and, then, and then worked and, uh, you know, reworking my sermon and, and praying through it. And God just hit me like a ton of bricks. said, Eric, here's the line in the sand of your soul. Don't stand up there and try to preach it until you erase that line. God, help me to be obedient. There's no sacrifice too great. To fulfill God's purpose. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant and he came in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death. On the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess, every tongue in heaven, every tongue on earth, and every tongue below the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, we're going to just allow the Spirit of God room to speak to our hearts. I'm, we're we're, we're going to take the time, and, 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 and I'm, I'm praying that God, by His Spirit, through His Word, would, would shatter every illusion that we have, that, that we are grown up as followers of Jesus even though we exalt our comfort over 
his commands. Even though we exalt serving others, serving self above serving others. Even though we have these lines in the sands of our soul and say, no, I'll be obedient except when it costs me this or that or the other thing. My prayer is that God would convict us, all of us here today, and show us the lines that need to be erased. Compel us. Show us where we are sinning against God by exalting comfort above his commands. That he would absolutely obliterate our selfishness so that we give ourselves in service to others as Jesus has done. So, Father, in these next moments, I I pray that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would try us, that you would see us, that you would uh, show us every worthless affection that we hide in our heart, that you would take hold of our secret shame and our secret sin and unveil it and unpack it before your eyes and our eyes right now so that, so that we might erase these, sand, the, these lines and the sands of our soul that we have drawn so that we would let go our comfort and embrace your commands, that we would let go our selfishness and embrace serving others so that we would let go our 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 requirements and our safety and our security even, and say there's no sacrifice too great. God, right now, I pray that you would speak to everyone here. And if there's any here today who have yet to embrace you, Lord Jesus, as Savior and King, I pray that you give them the courage to step out into an aisle and come forward to one of the ministers here today and, and help for us to help them on this journey of faith. God, do do a work of grace among your people here and now. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.